Hello. Hello, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Would you like to introduce this week? Um, maybe. You. Got I this. don't know what to say. Hello, welcome to episode three. I am L, or this is Amy, and is I'd like four? this is L. It's episode four. Okay. You said three, and I was did I? Like, ah, no, no, four. Yeah. Okay. Hello, welcome to episode four of Folio Dirt with L and Amy. Hello. Apologies for any weird background noise. The people <laughs> above me appear to be moving furniture. We're in Al's flat this week. We keep uh, moving around. Tonight it was Abba. Today it's removal stay. To be fair, if it was Abba, I'd be right up there with him. <laughs> I have no qualms about Abba. But I don't like this. I do think they're making something. Mm-hmm. A wardrobe, maybe. Like IKEA furniture. Oh my god. <laughs> that was quite a loud vibration. <laughs> <laughs> so. Have you had anything exciting happening this week? Um, I found out that I'm Richard Ramirez. Ah, oh, yes, we just did the Instagram serial killer. Pick um, who thing. are you? I got Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Original Night Stalker. Original Night Stalker. Oh gee. And I got the Son of Sam, which we realised we probably shouldn't have been as happy. Yeah, we, as we were quite excited <laughs> with who we got. Yeah. Considering. Let us not forget the murderers. murderers. Yours got chased through the streets. Every Richard time... Ramirez is in my story this week. Is he? Yeah. Oh. I just realised. Every time I think of Richard Ramirez, I just... Do you know how he got chased at the end when he was getting caught? Yeah. And, like, one guy seen him and, like, he kind of ran and then other people ran after him. They were like, ah, oh, it's Richard Ramirez. <laughs> Richard Ramirez. Mm-hmm. It reminds... Can you remember that Dolmio advert? Ages ago. <laughs> Where it's like, Mama's pasta! <laughs> and then they're all like, Mama's pasta! Then there's like a whole street of people running for the Dolmio. No! <laughs> I'll have to show you it later. Richard Ramirez! I'm just going to play it actually now. That's fantastic! But that's all I can think of when I originally heard that story. I just heard of the Dolmio advert. Oh. And everyone just being like, ah. <laughs> It's that edge. <laughs> I do remember them. And then they're really creepy puppets. What were we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> from yes. So I've just finished showing Elle that video. Well, at least Son of Sam has teeth. So you've but kind of one-upped me there. You had teeth. I'm just sure you never brushed them. They're just really yellow. You had a couple. Because a lot of the victims, when they kind of described their attack... A lot of them were just like, I had such awful breath. Mm. So at least, and I talked to dogs. <laughs> Sorry, one evil dog talked to me. Demon dog. I'd take demon dog over bad teeth. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. yeah. Which one was worse? Ooh, should do a poll. We should. Yes, please. Let us know who you think's worse. Um, oh, I meant on Instagram. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Oh. No, I was going to be like, um, let us know on Insta... Let us... Blah, 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 blah. We should do a poll on the... Mm-hmm. Um, we should do comments. Yeah. So Ooh. comment which one you like. Which one you like? Which Is that the right thing? It's like at work when we're talking about serial killers and we're like, oh, he's a good one. And they're like, good one? As in like, he's a good one? And Well, yeah, like, he's up there with the best... Me and Spencer did have an interesting conversation because Spencer thinks that 
my partner Scott mm-hmm. is secretly a serial killer because he said that someone can't be so nice on the surface and actually be that nice. But then people say that about you. They also say that about me. Yeah. That you can't be like a nice person on the outside and on the inside. Yeah, but we have a theory about you, whereas one day you're just going to snap. It will be Mark Lloyd that I'm going to. <laughs> and then um, maybe you and Scott will, maybe it's like Bonnie and Clyde. Well, me and Spencer were talking about this. And Spencer said, oh, Scott would make a really good serial killer. And then someone asked, what do you, like, what do you mean? What is a good serial killer? Mm-hmm. And then just began 10 minutes of me and Spencer figuring out like a scientific formula for mm. all the different qualities that make a good serial killer. Like how long you were like active until you got caught, how dangerous how close to capture you were and how like prolific your yeah the different types of murders that you did if you had like a calling card did people know about it was everyone scared about it yeah yeah one very in-depth we should have been at work very in-depth conversation (laughs) (laughs) the best kind anything else exciting that you've done this week (laughs) absolutely not no i won a free holiday that was exciting don't know how that happened. Mm-hmm. It was like one of those like and comment things. That was exciting. So I'm going to go Bali for free. So sorry if you were one of the people that wanted to do that. Um, Tough luck. <laughs> please don't hate the podcast for that. <laughs> and then I had, I'm actually doing a backup case today. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to originally do this one. Um, I was going to do a different one, but... I'll leave that for next week, so I'll not spoil it. However, I had a large breakdown this morning due to uni. This morning? Not even this morning, like 5pm. Let's get on with the stories. So, you first or me first? I think it's you. I went first last time. Ah, fantastic. Okie doke, so, we will see how this goes. So, my true crime case of today is... Mmm, can't tell you that because it'll spoil it. The Pillow Pyro? Ever heard of it? No. Originally, my major source from this is Case File, The Pillow Pyro. Um, so I watched that documentary type TV program. Okay. Um, and then I also went on Murderpedia. Okay. And got the um, information from there. Yeah. Murderpedia is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. There's so much information on there. Um, I got some from last week's from there as well. So, on October the 10th in 1984, in South Pasadena, California, Mm -hmm. a major fire broke out at Orly's Home Centre, hardware store, located in a shopping mall. I do know. You do know this one. I do know. (laughs) So, when I watched this case file, it's so American, and it's like, um, there's like a guy doing it, and it's like, on October 10th of 1984... Everyone in South Pasadena was sitting down to watch the, like, NFL football match. (laughs) Sorry if I'm offending anyone with my accent. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, that was happening. This was about to happen. And it was like, I I was pulled in straight away. But also, the most, like, Americanized kind of crime show ever 
I've really thoroughly enjoyed listening oh, to that Oh, the recreations are fantastic. <laughs> Sometimes I have, I have a bit of a chuckle. <laughs> I'd love to be in a recreation. Yes. Should we try it. and do that? Should we just recreate one of our own? <laughs> <laughs> so this is now no longer a podcast. This is actually um, a true crime retelling reconstruction. Yes. Oh my God, we should do weekly reconstructions. <laughs> so anyway... Orly's Home Centre Hardware Store, which is in a big shopping mall in South Pasadena, California. So this fire breaks out in this hardware store and it completely destroys the store. Mm -hmm. One of the massive things about it is, because it's a hardware store, there's so many things on the shelves. The shelves are jam-packed full, there's like Like alcohol. Yeah, anything that can be used to create like this huge fire, basically. Mm. Um, And unfortunately... Four people um, were killed during that. So what originally happened was... I've not wrote this down, so I'm just going off head. Sweet. Off head. Head. (laughs) Probably shouldn't say that. (laughs) Uh, Billy Deal and Ada Deal are going into the hardware store. Mm -hmm. With their little grandson, a two-year-old, Matthew. And Ada... And Matthew are together. Billy runs off to go get something. Uh-huh. In these aisles, Ada and Matthew are just walking down and then they see smoke coming. Oh, God. Um, and then what happens is just in seconds, there's so much smoke. There's fire everywhere. There's smoke everywhere. People can't see. People are trying to get out. And it's just once the first starts because the aisles are so close together and it's so much going on. It spreads super fast. Mm-hmm. Whereas Billy is on the other side of the shop and manages to get out because he's closer to the door. Oh. Unfortunately, um, Ada does not and neither does Matthew. Um, and during this time, Caroline Krauss and Jimmy Satino, who were two employees of Ole's, also lost their lives because there was oh. a flashover. So... I don't know whether you know what a flashover is. I do not. Tell me more. So it's basically, do you know how, easiest way to describe it, do you know when you're watching like a film or whatever and there's a fire, there's a fire, there's a fire, Mm -hmm. hits a gas and then there's just like a massive explosion. It's just like white. Mm -hmm. That's a flashover. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, So because there's a lot of compressed air and flammable shit shit in there, it just goes up. What the fuck is happening upstairs? There may be a murder going on upstairs. <laughs> I don't think our mics are good enough to have picked it up, but there was definitely a prolonged a scream. Yeah. There. A really long, <laughs> loud <Yeah>. scream. <laughs> Unfortunately, these four, four people die, and it's originally put down to an electrical fire. However, there is the original investigator, who is someone called John Orr, is convinced it's arson. He is, as soon as everyone's like, no, it's an electrical fire, he's like, no, I'm telling you now, it is arson. So as we know from history, California is absolutely notorious for wildfires. Mm -hmm. Um, There was some recently in LA last year when all of the celebrities lost their houses and it was absolutely heartbreaking. Was that, yeah, 2019, I believe, Yeah. yeah. So, just because it's so dry, it's got really dry and hot climate, um, it's notorious for them. In the early 1980s, there's thousands of fires recorded 
like absolutely thousands, and arson investigators believe that about 80% of these were actually caused by arson and not mm. by... Natural Yes, fires. but then the problem is, because of where it is, it's just, it's spread so fast with the wind. So because of this, LA Fire Department realised that they need to crack down on this and form a special arson investigation unit with a chief arson investigator. Now, John Orr, who I was telling you about before, he was like, no, it is arson. Mm-hmm. Um, after an inv- further investigation, we find out that the hardware store is actually proven to be arson. And the fire was started by polyurethane products, which are super flammable. So this fire was started in the middle of those products, which was why it spread so fast. Yeah. Just because it had so much fuel. Um, and because John was the only person who was adamant that it was arson, he's the number one guy for this. Mm-hmm. Cheese. Cheese. Uh, <laughs> chief arson investigator. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about John. He originally wanted to be a policeman when he was growing up, mm. but he failed his exam. Entrance exam. Uh-huh. So he became a firefighter, and then eventually a fire investigator. So I didn't know what these were. I just thought kind of all fire men, men, women. I suppose like a detective, but for the fire department. Basically, yeah. Okay, yeah. And because he wanted to be a policeman, perfect. It's like perfect for him. I he loves investigate, investigative, investigative side of his job, uh-huh. and he's really, really good at it. So in January of 1987, Fresno holds a convention for arson investigators. Around this time, several suspicious fires happen within Bakersfield, which is just south of Fresno. Mm-hmm. At one of these fires, there's a time delay incendiary device found with one singular unmatched fingerprint on it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a time delay incendiary device is? So I do, actually. It's kind of like a small like kindling device. Mm-hmm. Usually, is it in a matchbox? Or it's some kind of device? Absolutely uh-huh. correct. Tied with cigarettes. Oh, so, so you light the cigarette that burns, mm-hmm. then begins to burn the rest of the device, yes. and then that starts fire. Yes, but it gives you time to get away. So it's like a super time delay. Yeah, so what I've got written down, which I probably just should have read off, <laughs> it's usually comprising of a lit cigarette, three matches, wrapped in ruled yellow writing paper, and secured by a rubber band. So they're all tightly knit together, so the fire definitely goes. Is the colour important? <laughs> I don't know. Yellow, got blue, that from, um, white. Wikipedia. Ideal. So it must be correct. <laughs> Which is super clever because a delayed bit um, just makes sure that that person can escape. Yeah. Um, and I guess the paper, oh, it might be like special lighting paper. Okay. Because it's the paper lighting that starts a fire. Yeah. So they realised that the fires seem to follow the conventions that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Marvin G. Casey. What a name. Right, um, of the I'm Bakersfield. Captain Marvin Casey. Yes. So I'm American. Sure that's, yeah. And so badass, really. Yeah. I'd re- like, you could be a Marvel superhero with that, couldn't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Captain Marvel Casey. Oh, that was a bit Batman, actually. Yeah, um, you get the gruff. Yeah. Hmm. You need to be suave and a billionaire genius philanthropist. Um, 
But he is of the Bakersfield Fire Department and he suspects that the arson investigators, Marvin, suspects that because these are following the conventions, mm-hmm. that it's someone attending these conventions. Yeah, they know where it's going to be. It's not looking yeah. good. So they assume that someone that they know is responsible for this, which is fair enough, but like quite bold to... To blame one of your own. Absolutely, yeah. So in March of 1989... Another series of arsons are committed along the California coast, which is in conjunction with a conference of arson investigators, again, no. in Pacific Grove, California. So our friend Casey compares a list of the attendees from the Fresno conferences and a list of the attendees at the Pacific Grove conference. And after doing this, he gets 10 names. Ooh. So Casey collects fingerprints from everyone, John or included, but everyone is cleared when the fingerprints are ran against the ones found on the incendiary device they found in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. And then in 1991, there's Los Angeles Task Force team set up. And at a meeting of the Fire Investigators Regional Strike Team, the flyer describes the MO so the modus operandi of the suspected serial arsonists. A guy called Scott Baker from the California State Fire Marshal's office is at this meeting mm-hmm. and tells someone called Campuzano, also another pretty, it's quite sexy, isn't it? Snazzy. Mm. About Casey's investigation and how he thinks that the person starting the fires is actually a member of these conferences. Campuzano meets with Casey I'm probably butchering that name, aren't I? I feel like it should be like... Campuzano. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll do what I can. Um, obtained a copy of the fingerprint that Casey had recovered. <laughs> so, on April the 17th, 1991, they have their first suspect. <gasps> they then surveil this guy for several months. Mm-hmm. And on May the 31st, 1991, John Leonard Orr... <gasps> finds a tracking device that belonged to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, hidden under the bumper of his vehicle that he was driving and realises that he's being followed. Yeah. A second sneaky tractor. Tractor? Tracker? <laughs> sneaky tractor. <laughs> a second sneaky tracker was then added behind the dash of his car when he puts it in for a service. Mm-hmm. So they find out when he's putting this car in for a service. So whilst this is all going down, an indictment, so which is a formal charge or accusation of a serious crime, is handed down by federal grand jury. Shortly after this happens, John is found at the scene of a suspicious fire. They get a warrant and Orr is arrested on December the 4th, 1991. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the guy who way back when was like this was awesome and everyone was like no it's just an electrical because he wanted people to know because he is a narcissist aren't they all my favorite part when he is arrested they find out that actually he's writing a book of course about a serial arsonist named john who was also an arson investigator who used the same incendiary device (laughs) as john used Oh, John, this is a bit close to home. Who set fire to a hardware store? Like John did. Which killed a two-year-old. But, however, in John's words, the novel is a work of fiction and has no relationship to any actual events. In an interview, 
defending his manuscript, he expressly stated that the character of Aaron Styles was a composite of arsonists I arrested. <laughs> no. No, it's not. It was John, it's jail. you. <laughs> so the FBI arson team study describes fire starters like oh as being motivated by excitement mm-hmm. including thrills attention recognition mm-hmm. like when they can't let things like that fire that claimed four lives he could not like it can't let be an accident yeah. no and rarely but more importantly sexual gratification oh no yeah of a fire mm-hmm so firefighters are known to set fires so they can engage in this suppression effort. Mm. Because Or continued to maintain his innocence, Wamba, W-A-M-B-A-U-G, sorry if it's incorrect, but it's a name, so looked into his fictional arsonist, mm-hmm. Aaron Stiles, for insights into the crimes that John may have committed, whether he's put something in his book that we didn't actually know yeah. was um, something that he committed or maybe thought that it was a natural fire. Sexual arousal from fires may be rare, but Styles does become excited when he sees fires. No. And, um, and when he remembers fires he sets, he also gets excited. Yeah, I know. And he also gets sexual gratification when he sees people running away <gasps> from his from, fires. Like, burning building. Mm-hmm. And even when he's assembling his time, um, his incendiary device, he also is like that. And it's just... That's actually made me shiver. Yeah, I know. It's just... But on July the 31st, 1992, a jury in federal court convicted Orr of these three counts of arson and and in a five-count indictment. So they didn't get him on two, but they did get him on... The the other three. Mm -hmm. Um, And the judge in that case sentences Orr to three consecutive terms of 10 years in prison. However, Orr maintained and still maintains his innocence throughout this. On June the 25th in 1998, a jury in California State Court convicted Orr of four counts of first-degree murder um, from the hardware store fire with special circumstances in a 25-count indictment. Um, they deadlocked on only one of the 25 counts, no. which was subsequently dismissed at the request of the prosecution. When asked to sentence or to death, I know, the same state court jury deadlocked at eight to four in favour. And the judge in that prose- prosecution sentence, he sentences or to life plus 20 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. So he's not getting out. Um, and he is currently serving time in a California state prison to serve the remainder of his life sentence. But what I'm sure happened when he was caught, mm. I'm sure they told him to go to a certain fire. They were like, they put out... <gasps> they a, did! Yeah, they put out an APB, and I've not written this down, which I can't believe I forgot it. Um, they sent out an APB, and they were like the fire's here mm-hmm. whereas John still turned up to where the fire where the actually, fire actually was. was yeah and it turns out that he would return back to the scene of his crime to watch and watch the fires burning because oh. he was an awful human oh, in terms of like I feel like we just have to say this because the way that we both reacted so negatively mm. 
like whatever you like. I don't have a problem with mm. whatever makes you happy. But when you start to hurt someone else and put someone at risk, getting sexual pleasure or the start yeah. of fire, that's wrong. Respond to that quite negatively, mm. didn't we? We were yeah. both just like, oh, how disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. You can get... People get sexual gratification off different things, mm. different kinks. That is completely onto you. But I totally agree, and you mm-hmm. couldn't have said it better there. It's when it starts to affect other people yeah. where it's not. Not okay. No, absolutely. Mm-mm. And they believe, like, I'm sure, like, the fires, once he was arrested, dropped significantly. Oh. So the amount of fires that he actually set, I'm sure it went probably about 8% of them died down and it went from like thousands of fires a year to like 20. That's That's right off the top of my head, but very sure of that. It dropped a lot once he got caught. Oh my God. But that is John O. And that was one of my favourite one knew about, but I absolutely love it because it was such a shock to me that it was him. Um, Because he never expected to be... The person that's supposed to be looking after you. Man, that's crazy. This week, my story is also from LA. So we've kind of matched without oh. noticing that we have. So mine is the story of Hotel Cecil. Yes. Or Cecile. Or however Cecil? we want to go about this. Cecil? Cecil Hotel? Cecil Hotel. That's what I you call it. Okay. So, the Cecil Hotel was opened in 1924 in downtown LA. It was built and decorated really elaborately. There's kind of a marble entranceway, all the windows are stained glass. At the time, it cost over a million dollars to complete, which in the 20s was an insane amount of money. But unfortunately, within five years after opening, America went into the Great Depression Mm -hmm. and it really took a toll on the area of LA. The hotel did remain quite a popular destination and remained popular until about the 1940s. But then, as this time had passed, the area become, had become populated with thousands of homeless people. It was estimated that over 10,000 homeless people were living within a four-mile radius. Wow. And the oh hotel... Gosh. Yeah, right? The hotel kind of gained a bad reputation and it was called a resident for transients. Oh, okay. In the next couple of years, the hotel then gained an entirely different reputation for violence, murder and suicide. So I put together a really little timeline of some unusual things that happened. So the hotel opened in 1924. Mm -hmm. In November of 1931, a Manhattan Beach resident was found dead in his room after ingesting poison capsules. In September of 32, so less than a year later, a maid found a man dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He left no suicide note. In 1934, a former army medic was found dead in his room. He'd slashed his throat with a razor. He left several notes, one of which cited poor health as the reason for his suicide. Oh. Strange. Yeah. In 1937, a woman fell from a ninth-story window. Wow. Her fall was broken by being caught within telephone wires, which were then wrapped around her body as she was suspended in the air. But did she survive then? 
No, she later died and she was taken to hospital, but oh. police couldn't determine whether it was an accident or whether she meant to jump out of the window. Oh, okay. In 38, a United States Marine Corps fireman jumped from the top floor and was found on top of the skylight of the next building. He'd been staying there for several weeks. In 39, a Navy officer was found dead in his room, again, after ingesting poison. It's a lot of people who've been in the forces. It is, isn't it? Yeah. In 1940, a teacher ingested poison while staying at the hotel and was reported to be near death. She was taken to hospital, but no further reports were published and she disappeared. In 1944, a woman called Dorothy was sharing a room at the hotel with her boyfriend. She'd apparently been unaware that she was pregnant, went into labour, but didn't want to disrupt her sleeping boyfriend went into the bathroom and gave birth. She was convinced that the baby had been stillborn, thrown him out of the window and was then charged with murder. So she silently gave birth? To a baby she didn't know she would have. To, as to not wake up a, a boyfriend? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's more. In 1947, a man died after jumping out of one of the seventh floor windows. In 54, um, Helen, 55, jumped from the window of a seventh floor again, but landed on top of the marquee. A week earlier, she checked into the hotel under a fake name. Oh, that's suspicious. In 62, Julia Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed on a second story ceiling. She didn't leave a suicide note, but among her possessions that were left behind, were a bus ticket and a bank book showing a balance of $1,800. In 1962, another woman jumped from the window of her ninth floor apartment after an argument with her husband. He had left the room immediately before she jumped, but she landed on a pedestrian and killed them both instantly. In 1964, a hotel worker discovered someone that they had nicknamed Pigeon Goldie who was a retired telephone operator. She'd been found dead in her room. She'd been raped, stabbed and beaten and her room had been ransacked and items had been stolen. In a hotel? In a hotel room. She kind of lived there, but it was a hotel. Yeah. She was well known in the area and had earned a nickname Pigeon Goldie because she used to feed birds. One of the things that they found near her body was the hat that she used to wear and a sack full of bird seed. Oh. A couple of hours later, a man was seen walking through the square where she used to feed the birds in blood-stained clothing. Oh. He was arrested but never convicted of her crime. And then on December of 1975, a woman that they still couldn't identify jumped from the 12th floor and again landed on the second floor roof and she had also given a fake name. This is so strange. I knew, I heard of the Cecil Hotel, but I didn't know what had gone on. I did not know it was this. So they were just some of them. There was hundreds. They're in quick succession as well. Yes. Interestingly, the hotel was also connected with some quite well-known murder cases. So Elizabeth Short, who was dubbed by the media as a Black Dahlia, yes. um, she was reportedly seen quite a few times at the Cecil Hotel in the bar in the days leading up to her murder. And also, interestingly, 
Um, the hotel was a reported residence for the serial killers, Richard Ramirez. And Jack, and I absolutely cannot pronounce this, Unterwegen? Unterwegen. I feel like all, I yeah. feel like the accent has not helped that. It hasn't. <laughs> So, in 1985, um, the original Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, murdered at least 14 people while he was living at the hotel, and he would return there each night to dump his blood-soaked clothes into the bin and would walk back into the hotel naked. No way! I did not know that. Yeah. So, you are naked and you've got no teeth. Yeah. Chapman. He likes to live free, easy breezy, <laughs> no teeth, no clothes. Oh. A good life. That would not vibe. be alright if someone left with clothes on and came back with none. You wouldn't be alright with that? But if their clothes were blood stained, I imagine like your hair, your face, your skin would also still have blood. Unless he took a, a dip in a pond somewhere. Dipped, splashed his face in a puddle yeah. on the way in. So, as you can probably imagine, the hotel wasn't too successful. The area it was in had become nicknamed Skid Row. In LA. I'm scared, <laughs> And also, a lot of people died there. Yes, it's still Skid Row now. When I was in LA last year, mm-hmm. I was told to avoid Don't go. it. Yes. Sound advice. Yes. So... Especially after hearing this. <laughs> so, the hotel has since been renovated, and you can actually stay there now. It's a budget hotel called Stay on Main. Despite them kind of zhuzhing it up, and changing the brand, weird occurrences haven't stopped. And the one that I would like to tell you about is Elisa Lam, which I think you've heard of before. Yes. So, Elisa Lam was a student from Vancouver, and she checked into the hotel on the 26th of January, 2013. She was doing a travel alone. She was kind of solo traveling down the west coast of America. When she arrived, she wrote on her blog Hotel is classy, but then since it's LA, it went on crack. Okay. Strange. Her family hadn't heard from her by the 31st of January, and this was the day she was supposed to check out of the hotel. They grew quite worried. She was in constant contact with her family, so they called the LAPD. The hotel was searched. She couldn't be found anywhere. Police then reviewed the CCTV of the hotel and found something that they really couldn't explain. The video showed Elisa get into the lift Mm -hmm. and she started to act really strangely. She pushed all the buttons for every floor of the lift. It doesn't begin to move. She keeps stepping in and out of the lift on the same floor that she got in. She kind of tilts her head around quite frantically Mm -hmm. and gets back in, goes back out again, looks around. As if she thinks that someone is approaching. Oh. Yeah. At one point, she peers out again, looks around, and then instead of just walking back into the lift, as she has done the past couple of times, Mm -hmm. she gets into the corner that's furthest from the door and kind of cowers away as if someone's about to get in. She does this a few more times. Until eventually, she gets out of the lift and stands next to the door. She's waving her hands around a lot, and it almost looks as if she's communicating with someone who's just out of shot, but you can't see anyone 
in so someone the CCTV. Who knows where the cameras are and can avoid getting caught. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They review all this footage and she's still missing. About two weeks later, on February the 19th, a maintenance worker is called to the hotel because numerous residents have complained about kind of strange water pressure, water isn't running in the shower, in the taps, and there's a really weird taste to the water. <laughs> no. Upon opening the water tank on the roof of the hotel, Eliza's body is found floating face up. LAPD and the fire department had to drain the tank and cut it open from the sides in order to remove her body. They couldn't lift it through the top. But she was only five foot full, so it must have been quite a tight space to get into. Yeah. Her body was found naked in the tank, but most of her belongings and her clothing that she was seen wearing in the CCTV tapes mm -hmm. are kind of floating in there with her. Oh. The CCTV was released by the police to the public. Really? Yes. Sparking lots of controversy and so many crazy theories about what they think happened to her. Yeah. One of the main things and what sparked my interest in this case originally was the really questionable timestamp of the video. I went back and watched this while I was writing it mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, what was it about the timestamp? I can't remember what it was, but it was weird. I went back and watched it again. It's blurry as hell. Is it? They've obscured the timestamp. The rest of the video is quite clear. Mm -hmm. Where it should have the date and time is really blurry. The video is sped up, but there's cuts and gaps in the video where the time changes, but it's quite blurry. You can't really see. But you can tell that it's been edited. But you can tell that it's been cut. Oh, what happened in those gaps? I don't know. Some people, when they've watched it, claim that they can see another person's foot in the video of what's timestamped at the 2.27 mark, mm -hmm. where other people have looked at it, enhanced the video, and they maybe think that it's a shadow. So people went crazy with this, and some conspiracy websites discussed kind of government mind control, secret service, apparently a registered sex offender was living at the hotel at the time. There was loads of crazy theories. As more people watched this video, more people kind of came forward to try mm -hmm. and find what happened to her. A nearby bookstore owner came forward and gave evidence that she'd seen her the same day that she'd gone missing. She had bought books and music to give to her family back in Vancouver. She had every intention of going home. Her blog that she'd posted on when she first got there <clears throat> had been updated numerous times after her death with hundreds of people visiting the blog and sharing the content. They never found her phone. It wasn't with her, it wasn't in her room, it wasn't in the hotel which led people to believe that that had been taken and someone was posting on her behalf. That's terrifying. Oh yes. What made people think it was a government conspiracy is that the very same day and almost to the exact time that she had died, the Centre for Disease Control had dispatched a team of people to deal with a really vicious outbreak of tuberculosis on Skid Row 
The name of the test that was used to identify potential victims and sufferers was called Lam Elisa. The exact same spelling of her name. Oh. Yeah. And that was the exact time? The, almost the exact time and the same day that she had died. So not even, like, after they'd found her as, like, a... No, as a tribute. Tour. Yeah. No. Exact same spelling, because her name... Elisa or Eliza is spelled E-L-I-S-A mm-hmm. and her surname Lam is just L-A-M and it's spelled exactly the same. Oh. So. That's creepy. I don't like to think about things like mm, that. It's weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Love stuff like this. A toxicology report was run during the autopsy and revealed that she had a number of drugs in her system. But what it was is um, medication most commonly used as an antidepressant and treat bipolar disorder. Okay. But there were no other substances and no alcohol or anything found in her body. But the overarching theme of the coroner's report was that they were unable to complete a full examination of her blood and of her body as it had begun to decompose. A lot of doctors have since said that the autopsy report was distressingly vague and it had strange altercations within the document and there was evidence of a possible sexual assault that hadn't been investigated. That's terrible. That's really bad. Oh, yes. So, Elisa's family filed a wrongful death suit against the hotel, which the hotel strongly fought against. The maintenance worker who found her body gave evidence of just how difficult it was to get into the tank. You had to take the lift to the 15th floor, walk up a staircase to the roof, have to turn off a rooftop alarm, climb up a platform to where the water tanks were, climb up a ladder to get into the tank, and then unlock the tank and get in. And if it's that small, you wouldn't, not that you wouldn't want to, it'd be very difficult to. It's a lot of effort to do something. And it's not something you would ever know was there. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't just be like, oh, that water tank. Let's just go up to the water tank and get in for a swim. Yeah. Weird. The hotel's chief engineer also made it clear that the roof is always locked. Alarms would trigger and only hotel employees know how to act, deactivate the alarm properly. Well, this is what I was thinking. They're getting these people to um, be like witnesses and mm-hmm. kind of confirm that these things are so difficult. So then if only employees can go in there and only employees would probably know that it was a thing mm-hmm. and would have to turn off this secret alarm and whatever, should they not be investigating the employees? Hmm. So... The investigation went on for a while, but has since gone cold. Mm -hmm. The most recent update was as of December 2015, the negligence lawsuit against the hotel was dismissed and her death was ruled a complete accident. She just accidentally got up to the 15th floor. Accidentally, got in the lift, was interacting weirdly with someone out of shot of the camera, got all the way up there with access codes and keys, knew exactly where to go and got in. Do you want to see the CCTV? Oh, uh-huh. But then another thing is, even, like, you could put it down to drugs, but then would she be able to do all of that under the influence of such strong drugs? Because I know that Skid Row, obviously, if 
people are homeless and stuff, it may be down to something like that. Mm-hmm. That Very was a weird. good one. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think it's all of the... Because I had learned about that first due to kind of the timestamp conspiracy. Yeah. Because this was a whole, oh, the police killed her and tried to cover it up. Yeah. And I had learned about this first and then learned about the history of the hotel itself. Oh, okay. Which is quite interesting. It inspired a, a lot of different things in kind of popular culture as well. There's a series of American Horror Story based on this hotel. There's a couple of episodes of like different crime TV shows and often dramas as well that have been inspired by this. I'm not surprised. Creepy? Oh yes. Creepy as hell. Nicely done. Any recommendations? Ooh. Ooh, actually, yes. Have you ever seen 60 Days In? I have not. Oh, I think you would enjoy it. Less of a kind of true crime, more of an insight into like the judicial system. Okay. It's, um, civilians will spend 60 days in a prison undercover Mm -hmm. as an inmate to document what prison is like and what it's like to be an inmate. It's all filmed and it's usually absolutely normal people or people who have an interest in the system Yeah, want to go and see what it's like. So it's now on Netflix, it used to be on CBS I think, it's now on Netflix. And the first series that I've watched, it's very interesting to see the attitude people have when they go in. And then how quickly you forget you have a life on the outside. Even though they know that they're not in it for a reason. 60 days doesn't sound like a lot, but you get caught up in prison life. Oh, that sounds interesting. So do people kind of become their persona? People join gangs. It's very interesting. I don't want to give too much away because I want you to watch it. Are they looked after? Is there like security... There is security, but to avoid suspicion, because if one person is discovered, there's also kind of eight other people who've gone in undercover. Right. You have to, in order to protect their kind of undercoverness. Yeah. They get left. If they're in a fight, Mm -hmm. it's not broken up. You're left to fend for yourself. Are they like criminal informants? Or is it just purely for... It's just to learn what life's like in prison. Oh, I would not want to put myself through that. When I first watched it, I was thinking, oh, I can do this. It's quite interesting to learn about what the system is like. Yeah. Ah, no way in hell would I do this now. No. Really interesting. It's such a confined environment. When I did a placement in a prison, Mm -hmm. I found it mad that... Everyone that goes around, even in, like as a pharmacist, mm-hmm. you've got keys. You cannot leave one place without locking, locking up. it up. Anyone who walks past you has someone escorting them around. Like you're not free mm-hmm. at all. And also, I don't. I would think I would really struggle with the prison that you were put in. Mm-hmm. Like if you are sitting there, you've not done anything. You're clean. You've got like not even like a prior or whatever, mm-hmm. and you just like wanted to go in there and you sat next to like Charles Manson <laughs> what worried me more is that the women's prison was so much worse than the men's really the behavior of the women was insane oh 
Well, I'll have to watch that. Really good. Mm. Do you have any recommendations this week? I don't, but what I am really excited for, and I don't know whether you've seen it, I was meant to watch it. It's a five-part series on Amazon Prime. Okay. came out on the 31st of January, and it is Ted Bundy's girlfriend uh-huh. and her daughter Ooh. for the first time ever being interviewed, talking about him, talking about the situation, how their lives are affected, how they thought of him, mm-hmm. all from their perspective which we've not seen ever seen or heard she was really protected and i'm excited for that yes but as for recommendations i've not really done much so i believe that's it mm-hmm. um thank you very much thank you bye. bye thank you guys for listening we hope you really enjoyed we really want this podcast to do well so if you could leave a review in itunes spotify anchor stitcher wherever you listen we would really appreciate it if you like us and you want to see a little bit more of what we do and kind of how we operate and how we work we've got our instagram page which is we are underscore folio and we also put on photos of the things that we talk about each episode which is really quite interesting Mm -hmm. yeah guys check it out Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.